we're going to jump into our last, um, well, kind of, yeah, our last. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be our last um, community discipline. We're going to talk about the, the section that we always do in life groups uh, called Activate, uh, but, but so I'm not going to call it that. I'm not going to, it's community discipline. You're not going to find Activate in the scriptures. Um, so what I'm going to call this one is Works. And basically, what we, the reason that we say, uh, the reason that we say Activate is this because what we want to see is we want to see what you know meet what you do. So activating what you know in your life. So that's why we call it Activate. But for this morning, I'm going to refer to it as, uh, as works. So let's just review. We've got the, we started out with fellowship that God has he called uh, Israel apart. He sets his people apart, not for the purpose of exclusivity, but for the purpose of the nations knowing who he is. He sets apart his people so that the nations will know his glory. And so it's important for us to, to realize that we have been set apart. We have been called the body of Christ and set apart, not for exclusivity, but so that all would know his goodness. And Jesus, uh, he, he said it, they'll know you're my disciples if you love the world. No, somebody said, gotcha, it's early for me to be tricking you. He said, he said you will, uh, they will know who I am essentially because of your love for one another. So it's this inward love. It's the dynamic that we have between uh, one another in the body of Christ that really uh, broadcasts the love of God. I don't, I don't mean to say that Jesus didn't say love other people, but I, I am saying that there is an intense focus on our community and our fellowship. Then we moved into worship. Why do we worship together? You guys may think it's just kind of a churchy thing that every time we come together we sing. In fact, we uh, joke with Blake. We always say, you know, uh, where two or more are gathered, Blake's guitar will be in their midst because uh, we always sing when we're when we're uh, when we're together. Sometimes we call meetings, staff meetings, and then the joke is, is, Bra- is Blake going to bring his guitar? Because he, we're always we're always wanting to sing. This isn't just because uh, God isn't present unless we as believers sing. This is this is worship, and it creates right focus. And we talked specifically about music as worship that. Worship is not just music, but that a huge part of it is, and why do we sing when we come together? We spoke about that our second week, and that the heart of worship is in submission. So we, as we worship, we're acknowledging who God is, we're submitting to Him, we're bowing down before Him. Uh, then we talked about prayer, uh, and this one is still, I think for me, the, is going to be the highlight of this, uh, of this series uh, because this is still kind of blowing my mind that there's in the body of Christ there's no such thing as individual prayer, and that was that was something that was very uh, tough to land in my uh, in my mind. But the reality that in Christ we're all knitted and bonded together under the banner of His blood, and so when I pray, I can be alone and pray, and you can be alone and pray. But as we pray, if we pray by the Spirit then we're praying in unison. We're praying united. So there is no individualistic prayer in the body of Christ. There's only prayer in unity when we pray according to the Spirit. And the good news is that the Spirit helps us when we pray, even when we don't have the words. He intercedes for us. So that one's, that's been really good. I'm still processing that. When we talked about testimony, uh, that's been a couple of weeks ago, we talked about testimony, how important it is uh, for us to speak about what God has done, to be a witness. We talked about testimony in relationship to a courtroom, and to be a witness, an eyewitness of what we've seen God do. That testimony is not just your story of salvation. Uh, we think about that a lot. What's your testimony? It's like, oh, when I was six, and then, you know, whatever, we, we get kind of bogged down in it being just our uh, story of salvation. That is included, 
But testimony should be something that we're continually doing. We just did it. Somebody talking about what God did in Haiti. It's speaking and proclaiming what God has done. Bryn was an eyewitness. She saw it, um, and she declared. And even, even from what you heard her say, we were carrying bricks, but this is what God said, and this is what God did. So it's pushing past just the story, and it's finding who God is in the moment. You guys awake? All right. Review sometimes. It's like, I remember that. When they say review, it's like, good, I can check out for five minutes. <laughs> The last one Parker did was scripture, and he spoke about how important the scriptures are as we, as we come together. We study the scriptures. We allow the scriptures to give us uh, commonality, um, give us right focus, right direction. Um, so these have been our, uh, our community disciplines. Now, I, I think it's really interesting that in all of these, one of the main elements, the, one of the main uh, reasons that we do all of them is it creates, we've, we've said it in all of them, it creates right focus and it creates submission before the Lord. Uh, that is who we should be as a people of God. The, the reason that all these community disciplines, all the things that should be taking place as we come together, they create, uh, they create uh, unity and right focus, focus on the Lord, and they create submission, and we talked about that in, in terms of, uh, of worship. God becomes the center of, of what we do. Uh, and that it's really every time that we come together, whether in a room like this, a, a room like we're going to be in the next hour, whether it's just a few of you gathering in a coffee shop, regardless, the commonality when, when the people of God to come together, that ought to be what happens, is that God very quickly becomes the center of everything that they, uh, that they do. That our lives lived together, our lives lived in submission to him. So it's, it's all of those. Now I'm going to push a little bit today. It's the last one. So if you get mad, I don't have to deal with it. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, so today we're going to talk about works. We're going to talk about, uh, about doing, and I, I, I am, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. I'm going to push a little bit, go to Hebrews 11. Um, we, we've really got to answer this question. We've, we've run far from the doing, uh, because we've been running from, uh, religion, we get very frustrated with religion. It's not works-based. It's about my relationship with God, yada, yada, yada. All these things are true. Um, but because of that, I think in some ways we, the pendulum has swung way too far the other way. And the doing of your Christian life is kind of up for interpretation. You just do whatever you want and, uh, and call it Christianity, and, and, and there's grace in that. I don't necessarily believe that that's true. Uh, so we need to really focus on why is it important for what we read and study for what God, uh, who God is and how he's asked us to live. Why is it important for those things to be lived out in our lives? So um, everybody stand up. Get a little, some trunk twist going on here. Come on, let's go. Everybody, everybody. Here we go, let's get loosened up, loosened up. I like how some of you are more holy than others. You're doing it with your Bible, very good. Very good, very good. Okay, you can sit down. That's right. All the Pharisees, stretch with your Bible. Just kidding. <laughs> that was awesome. I didn't expect that, but it was so many of you were like. <laughs> it's like this new meditation or something. I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, good, good. Hebrews 11. Now, here's what we're going to do. Um, this... Uh, God gave this, you know, you guys know that I learn in pictures um, and arrows, really mostly just arrows, actually, uh, not quite pictures. You would look at this and go, that's not a picture. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to use something that we've already studied, and so hopefully it, uh, it's familiar, uh, but we, 
God gave the understanding of this about a year ago. Uh, I'm going to use it. So, Melissa, if you will go ahead and put that on the screen, the, uh, the faith diagram. Now, let's get into Hebrews chapter 11, and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll explain this. I'm going to explain what's up here. It, yep, it's up there really quickly, and, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about it. So, Hebrews chapter 11. You guys have all heard this before, but let's, let's read it. Okay, now, faith, verse 1, is the assurance. Say it loud. Assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction, okay, of things not seen. So it is two things. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of of things not seen. Now, both of those, uh, both of those terms. This is what we studied before, so I'm not going to stay here forever. Well, neither of those terms are very whimsical terms. They're both very concrete things. Okay, so the first one is the assurance of things hoped for. You, you guys, uh, my my wife's family, they do Christmas a little bit interesting. So. You know, my, I grew up, and the presents that you were going to get at Christmas were an absolute surprise, okay? Your Christmas, your birthday, you know, these things, absolute surprise. The joy of gift giving was shopping for that person, and the joy of it is in the surprise. Is there anybody like that? Do you like to surprise people with the gift that you give? Seriously, what's wrong with you? That's the best part. Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, that's, that's, gr- that's great joy, okay? Now, the risk of that method is you could totally flop. And has anybody ever done that? Gotten a terrible gift? Come on, don't lie. Everybody's bought the terrible gift. <laughs> it's like the one that they have to get out when you come because never mind. Uh, uh, it's like, why is there so much dust on it? Oh, I don't <laughs> Anyway, so uh, there, is, there is great risk in it, but, but that's the joy. So Lindsay's family does it totally opposite, okay? And in about November, I'll get an email or a text message. Now, November, that month is my birthday, but I'm talking about for, for Christmas. So near Thanksgiving, they'll, they'll ask about uh, Christmas, and they'll, they'll say, what do you want? Okay, well, that's a good start. What do I want? So you, there's tremendous pressure, you know, because it's like, well, what do I tell my in-laws I want? But uh, so, so you got to do that. Uh, and, and then um, if, if that doesn't come to uh, a conclusion where they, they like what you want or, uh, or they're able to get it or they understand it, right? Because some of the stuff, like some of the, you, you know, the communicate, the hobby, you know, like if I were to tell them about beekeeping stuff, it's like, they, I don't trust them to go shopping for my beekeeping stuff. You know, like that. I, I'll do it. You know? <laughs> so, right, so, so it gets difficult. Eventually what will happen, eventually what will happen is you go get it, we'll reimburse you for your gift, Right? You go get it. Or what's crazy is that the first time I spent Christmas with them, the first year we were married, um, they film Christmases. Like, you guys, anybody, your family does it? Where you, okay, so they film Christmas. So uh, her dad is filming, and then he, it's, it's his turn to, so every person has their turn opening gifts. That's how you do it. You get in front of the camera, you open your gifts. You okay, right? So then it's her dad's turn, and nobody knows what he's got because he went and got it all for himself. Right? So he's, he's literally opening all these gifts, like all these tools, and he's like, look what Santa got me, you know, or whatever. And he's bought it all for himself, right? That's what you call assurance. You know how you know what you're going to get for Christmas? You buy it yourself. So, th- th- so it's, not a, it's not a whimsical thing. So the word assurance is not a whimsical thing. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's to be sure of what we have hoped for. So the beginning of faith, I always heard faith growing up, and as a child I always thought, okay, faith is this like hope thing. Like just, it's faith is more like dreaming, right? 
If I just hope hard enough or dream hard enough, this is, this is faith. Well, it's not true. It says faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So here's how I define uh, faith just as I've understood it according to these passages. We're going to go through it a little bit more, and you can see it. Whoops. Melissa, it, 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 there it is. Yeah, you can just leave that up there. Um, so faith is what allows us to live in the reality of the kingdom of God, okay? So that's an unseen reality, okay? We can't see with our, with our physical eyes, we can't see the kingdom of God, but it's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. So faith, it bridges the gap and allows us to live according to the reality of the kingdom of God while present on the earth. You with me? So we live in a reality, a physical, tangible reality that we can see. But what faith allows us to do is live in this physical and tangible reality, but live according to a different reality. The, the rules and the, and the principles of the kingdom of God govern our lives, even if they are unseen. So this is what faith does. And you can see here, I'm going to take a journey here, but uh, faith... It's right there between uh, spirit and soul. And it's important to understand that faith is a gift. Faith is something that's empowered by the spirit of God, but it also has a lot to do with us. Look at the, on both sides, okay? There's one element of faith. One of those uh, arrows says transformed. The other one says abiding. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a second. But we see the relationship. Uh, this spirit on the top left is our spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And the scripture tells us that the spirit of God takes the things of God and makes them known to us. This is how we know God, is because God has given himself to us in the person of the Holy Spirit to live in us and to make truth known to us. He convicts us of sin, he makes truth known to us, and he glorifies Jesus in our lives. So uh, Jesus said in John five nineteen, I only do what I see my Father do, and he says later that I only say what I hear my Father say. So the relationship that we have between us and the Holy Spirit is not a relationship of thinking and feeling. That's, a, that's what we do in the soul, right? But it's a relationship of seeing and hearing. By the Holy Spirit, God's given us the ability to see and hear him, okay? Faith is huge because faith is what allows it to go from this, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mystical here, but faith is what allows it to go from this spirit realm. Again, not, I know it's a strange sounding word, but if it were to stay up top there, it's all an internal reality, you see? It's, everything's internal. There's nothing tangible about what God is doing in our lives. But faith is what, is what bridges the gap and allows us to live according to the reality that God has made known to us. When we read the scripture and the scripture defines things in our life, faith is what allows that definition to come to fruition and actually play out in our lives. You with me? Just some nods. Everybody just make sure we're on the same page because we're going to build off of this. I'm tired. I don't know why I'm tired. I got to take a breath. All right, so why are we talking about faith when we're talking about works? Well, the, re, the, the truth is because what you do comes from who you are. You, you, you can't, uh, you can't uh, change it. I, eventually, no matter how much you hide behind your words, no matter how much you hide behind your actions, eventually who you are comes out in what you do, comes out in what you say. Jesus said that we're going to be judged according to our actions and our words. Why? Because the, the judgment on our actions and our words will be accurate because our actions and our words show what's really in us, right? I, I heard a guy say one time that sarcasm is really actually only the time we're actually telling the truth, right? Oops, that's a little, that's a little scary, right? We, there's, our words and our actions communicate what's real in our lives. So 
Faith has two cogs. One of them is being, or arrows. Uh, one of them is being transformed. One of them is abiding. So let's talk about those. To abide in the truth is to believe what you see and hear. Jesus said that, that we, we have to, in John 15, that whole chapter is about abiding in him. Okay? It's about trusting him. He says, you can't bear fruit apart from the vine. You've got to abide in me. The whole chapter is about abiding, being attached to the vine. So we've got to, as a believer, we've got to, every day we've got to wake up and we've got a choice to make. Either I'm going to trust me for this day and for these moments, or I'm going to abide in Christ and I'm going to live this day by faith. And the first element of that, I know that sounds, okay, live by faith. Kendall, what does that mean? Well, the first part of what that means is I'm going to abide in the truth. I've got to choose to trust what God says, Okay. It doesn't mean that I wake up and I analyze my circumstances and go, okay, what do these dictate for today? What do I think is best to do in the midst of these circumstances? The first step in faith is to agree with the truth of God, regardless of how you feel like it, uh, it, it um, lines up with your circumstances. The first thing you have to do, the first thing, is that you've got to agree with God, we talked about scripture, so I'm not going to go into it much, but many of us have a difficulty agreeing with the truth of God because we spend little to no time in this word. And because we spend little to no time in this word, uh, we are, uh, I would say, handcuffed in our ability to agree with what God has said because much of what God has said uh, is, is revealed in this, his character, his nature, what, who he is is revealed in this book and, so, and, and how we are to live, okay? And so uh, it, we can't agree with the truth of God if we don't know what the truth of God is. So the first thing is we've got to agree with the truth of God. Now, here's the next part. So this is, what's, this is the, what, to me, uh, short circuits in me a lot. So it's not enough just to agree with the truth of God. So this is all uh, applied by faith. I agree with the truth of God, but then here's what has to happen. Anywhere that that truth doesn't line up with what is currently uh, in me, what's in me has to go and the truth of God has to replace it. So let's, let's, let's think about this. Uh, let, so let's just say I'm looking at a situation, uh, a friend of mine who's going through uh, deep despair. There's a thought in my mind that says this is, ho- this is a hopeless situation. I don't know how to get this guy out of this, okay? I, I, don't, I, don't, know how to, I don't know how to speak into this guy's life because uh, what I've just heard him say is absolutely hopeless. That's a thought in my mind. But if I wake up and agree with God, it, can I find hopelessness anywhere in his heart? No, I can't. So the truth of God is that there is no such thing as hopelessness, right? In him, there is no hopelessness. So here's what this, the, how this would work. I wake up, I read this word, I read of the hope that's in the Lord. I agree with God that there is no such thing as hopelessness. And then I find that place of hopelessness in me and I go, okay, I got a choice. Either I'm going to live by this hopelessness that's in me or I'm going to allow the truth of God to transform the way that I think. You with me? And I'm going I'm to lose this thought about hopelessness and I'm going to replace it with the truth that God has given that says there is no hopelessness. You with me? You with me? So this is what faith allows us to do. See, again, the reality of the kingdom of God is that there is no hopelessness. That's a reality of the kingdom of God. My situation didn't necessarily say that, but faith allows me to live according to the reality of the kingdom of God, even though present in a tough situation. Anybody? Okay, you with me? Okay, so, so here's why... Here's why uh, why action matters. So you're going, okay, wait a minute. You're just talking about transformation. You're just talking about faith. 
feel like I'm talking fast. I've had a lot of coffee, or you made it extra strong this morning. I don't know what happened. Ooh. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. You cannot live by faith and not be transformed. And if that's true, then if you're transformed and a new, and, and, and let's use that example, and a new reality of hopefulness sets in, if that is actually a new reality inside of us, because doing comes from being, then my actions have to line up with the new reality that's set in. Are you with me? This is why faith is absolutely, absolutely, all the time, and we're going to look at it, in the scriptures, faith and works are tied together. Because faith allows us to be transformed according to the reality of God. And as that transformation occurs, our actions have to follow because our actions are tied to what's in us. You guys with me? So let's look at it here. So look, if this circle, it gets completed, if we've chosen to agree with God and we've uh, abode we abode in the spirit. We've been transformed. You see what happens? Our mind is changed. And, and, and you've got to see those two arrows of body and soul kind of connecting one another in obedience and works. Because we've actually been changed by the truth, obedience and works are going to follow. They have to because a new reality is taking place in me. So now I'm going to be, uh, my actions are going to be changed. And who's going to be glorified? God's going to be glorified. Why is God going to be glorified? Because the truth that I'm living by is the truth given by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can only glorify Jesus. You with me? So then I don't have to get all in my head about whether this action glorifies God or not. Does it line up with the reality of the kingdom of heaven? And if it does, then my actions are going to be transformed and he will be glorified. Right? We try to do the, the last thing. This is all, we're, you know, we, we hear all the time, your life is to glorify God. And so we li- try to live this last arrow all the time and we take obedience and works and we chop it off of faith and we try to glorify God absent faith. Or, or we try to have faith and it doesn't change our action. And let me just tell you, that is a counterfeit. That's not faith. Faith can only come with two parts. Faith can only happen if you're abiding in the truth and being transformed. Otherwise, you're kidding yourself. It's not faith, okay? You're just playing a mind game. You with me? So let's look at a case study here. I think that's always very helpful. Go to, um, well, you're in Hebrews 11. So um, Abraham gets talked a lot about in this, uh, the connection between faith and works. And I think, uh, I, for me, the, the case study of Abraham and looking at what he did is very, very helpful. So let's look at all these elements in him. So uh, verse 8, so Hebrews 11 is going to lay out kind of what faith is, and then it's going to begin to give definition of people that lived according to it. So Abraham gives uh, a a good study here, uh, and the writer is going to give a couple of examples. So uh, by faith in verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out uh, to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So there's that word. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive it as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Listen, listen to verse 10, it's important. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So let's look at all of those elements in Abraham. So where's the part where he saw and heard and he abode, there's our favorite word, and he abode in the truth? Where was it? Where, where do you see that? It says that he was looking where? 
Look at verse 10. He was looking forward to a city that has foundations, okay? So what did he do? He heard God say, get up and go. What did God say, get up and go in relation to? God said, I'm going to give you a land and an inheritance. I'm going to give you a blessing. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But it's all hinging on this. You've got to hear me and do what I say. So he, when it, Scripture says that he was looking forward to, how could he look forward to something that he had not heard from the Lord? You with me? There's that first part. The only way that he could look forward to a city that didn't even have foundations and walls is because the word of the Lord came and said, I'm going to dot, dot, dot. So you see this. So there's the first element. So he, he heard and he chose to believe that what God was saying was true, even though he didn't see it. That's the, that's the beginning. Wake up, agree with God. Okay? Abraham wakes up and agrees that God is giving me what he said he was going to give me. Now, here's the second part. So you say, okay, great. I I can do that. I can agree with the truth of God, but you said it had to have two cogs. Well, here's the second one. What did Abraham do? He went, right? Right? He, He went. He believed that what God said was true, was true, and what did it do? It transformed his reality, and he went, he believed that God was, was right when God said, I'm going to take you and, and establish you as a nation and all families of the earth are going to be blessed in and through you. Abraham said, yep, you know what, God, you're right. And so when God said, get up and go, he said, all right. Now, how could he do it? How could his steps go towards a place that he had never been? What, what allowed him to do it? Faith allowed him to do it. And the scripture says that faith was counted to him as, as righteousness, He could do it by faith because the word of the Lord came. He chose to be transformed. He chose to believe what God had said, and his footsteps followed. You guys with me? We are short-circuiting on this area. So many of us say and claim what we quote-unquote believe, what by faith we, we believe, yet our actions don't line up. We get intimidated, we get bullied by our culture, we get fearful, we, we, we get uh, stirred up and compassionate, and we go, well, maybe that's not quite right, and we refuse to actually be transformed by what God has said. And in that situation, it's not faith at all. You've heard a word, and that faith, we're going to read in James, that faith is actually dead and useless, because it did not result in the transformation of your actions. Okay, so... That's the case study, Abraham. Let's go to James chapter 2. Man, if you want to just get kicked in the teeth, go read James. Or do a handstand push-up, like we talked about last week. Just kidding. You know what what these crazy folks have me doing now? Walking on my hands. I don't do it. I just fall gracefully. Well, not gracefully. Just kidding. All right, James chapter 2. Look at verse 14. Okay, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So here we go. This is kind of one of those primers. This is a tough question to ask. Okay, what good is it if someone says he has faith but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? Gosh. 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is what? Whew! It's dead. 
Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Oh man, I told you, just teeth kicking. That faith apart from works is useless. So he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now check this out, verse 21. Who's he going to talk about? Abraham, okay? He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was, look at that word. What's that word? Active, okay? So there's one situation where faith is what? The first one, faith without works is dead. So there's dead faith. And then he says that faith was active along with his works. And faith was, this is the word I want to focus on, completed. Faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, uh, then he speaks about uh, about Rahab. So he, he says, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So the two things I want us to notice, or well, the three things, that faith was active, okay? Faith was active along with his works, that his works, it uses a word that his works, in a sense, completed his faith. And this is where we can understand this right here. So Faith has the two cogs abiding and being transformed, but it's only when it actually processes through to works that it says faith is completed. So we can see faith as somewhat of a process. Faith is a process by which the truth of God is revealed in us. God is teaching us to agree with that truth and to live according to it. And inasmuch as it produces works, the faith is completed. See, we've, we've got a bit of an issue. We like to learn a lot. We like to have a lot of theology. And this is a Western church thing. Man, this has not existed uh, really, well, I'm not a church historian, but th- this is kind of an, a new reality where we are totally obsessed with theology. The problem is, and, and here's the deal, I get, I get accused all the time of, of uh, not caring about theology. What are we doing today but studying the theology of faith? Okay, this is, so it's silly. I love theology. Love theology. But we get so obsessed with theology that we forget that theology not translated into practice is absolutely useless. It is useless for me to know this information yet for my life never to reflect it. It's useless for me to, go, for me to know in our, in our situation earlier to know that no situation is, is hopeless in God. I may know that and I may proclaim that with this microphone, but if I don't ever actually walk into somebody's hopeless situation and bring hope, then what is it? It's useless. And faith, what I've called faith, has never been active and has never reached completion because it's never shown up in the area of works. It's never shown up in my life. So is it actually true? It's a version of faith, James says. It's a version, but it's a version of dead faith. It's not actually living an active faith. It's dead because it never actually finds its completion. Faith, active faith, completed faith, can never be separated 
from works. And that's why he makes the sarcastic, and I will say, James is sarcastic. And he makes a sarcastic comment. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. It was just as absurd for him to think that my works could produce my faith as it was to separate faith from works. Do you see that? That was, that was just as foolish for him, and so he makes that sarcastic comment. So you can justify your sarcasm in the book of James. Here's the deal. So what was the result? What is the result of active faith that finds its completion in, uh, in works? Who's glorified? Look at verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled. Okay? So who receives glory? God does. It's this, it's this perfect picture of exactly what we're talking about. There's active faith. It's completed in works, and God is glorified. Go to 2 Peter. What time is it? Who we got to hurry. All right, 2 Peter. Now, we spent a lot of time on this, but uh, I think we need just a hair more time. Uh, so here's the deal. Second Peter, look at chapter 1. Verse, let's just start in verse 5. So we've studied this before, so you can go back and look on the podcast if you want the details of this, but let's look in verse 5. It says, for this very reason... He's talking about the divine, God's divine power has given us uh, all things to life and godliness, and we've escaped the corruption that's in the world. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly uh, affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now listen to this, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, okay, so it, these are all the supplement of faith. These are all the character traits, the actions that are produced out of faith. So you supplement your faith with all of, these, all of these things. These are all character reflections. And he says, if this is true, so if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. For whoever lacks these qualities, listen to this, is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In essence, if these aren't yours and increasing, you've forgotten that you were even saved, right? This is a a heavy word. So you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sins, okay? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So what does he say? So he says, supplement your faith. So there's transformation that has to occur. It's not enough for us just to agree with the truth of God, but transformation has to occur. I'm always blown away, blown away by the claim of saved believers who have no character whatsoever. I'm I'm amazed at people who claim faith in Jesus, yet their character of life, they're crooked in business, they're they're, uh, abusive in their homes, they're, you know, whatever, they have no character, they have no integrity, they don't do what they say they're going to do, and I'm going, wait a minute, have have you been so, are you so nearsighted that you're blind, have you even forgotten that you've been saved? How could what God did, and how could you living by faith not turn into absolute character transformation? Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, as, that even after salvation that we won't have issues, that we won't have things to, to work out, that God won't be, be uh, working in us the work of his son. That's not what I'm saying. 
But I'm saying as long as faith is active, that this work is going to be in process, that God is going to be doing this in our lives. God is going to be revealing sin, asking us to repent of sin. He's going to be showing us his truth. And as we agree with his truth, he's going to be absolutely transforming our lives. And that's why in 2 Peter, he doesn't say if these are perfect in you the moment you're saved. He says, for if these qualities are yours and what? Increasing. You see this? It's important that you hear that. If these qualities are yours and increasing, so what should be happening in the life of the believer is I have a relationship with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. What should be happening? I should be increasing in my godly character. I should be being transformed. Not, not just, I wasn't just transformed, but I should be being transformed by the truth. My character should look different. Who you are should be different a day after you meet Jesus. You with me? If you've been a believer for 10 years and you're still the same as in day one, then, that, then the faith that you say you practice is dead. And I'm not saying that you're not saved, all right? I'm not making that step, but I'm saying this. Get into relationship with God that you might be being transformed. Because it's a dangerous spot to be in this place that 2 Peter says, that you're so nearsighted that you're blind having forgotten that you've been cleansed. What a spot to be in. And that's not where we want to be. So... Here's the deal. The positive of this, and this is not, Peter didn't just, Peter's not like James, he's a little happier guy. So uh, he says the positive of this is that, look, if I'm doing this, if I'm in process, if I'm allowing the truth of God to transform our life, here's what it does. It keeps me from being ineffective. That's good news, right? That if I'll just be in process with God, if I'll just allow him to totally transform my character, then that process of growth will keep me from being ineffective. Who wants to be effective in the kingdom? Oh my goodness, I do, right? Oh man, at the, at the end of days, I want, man, if that's what's said about me, that I was effective in the kingdom, praise God. And so he says the way to do this is just allow God to have, have a process in you. Allow him to transform you by faith. Let the truth of God totally revamp your life and then let that play out in works. God will be glorified and it will keep you from being ineffective. That's the positive. The negative is, that if we do not, allow, by faith, allow transformation to occur, if works aren't present in our life, the negative is that we are living as if we have never met Jesus. I'm not going to make that step. Okay. We are so doctrine and theology-based, and again, I get accused of acting like those things don't matter. I firmly believe that those things matter. But we have got to resist, listen to me, we've got to resist believing that Christian maturity is how much we know. I sat down with a guy, we had, we had uh, been here about a year and a half, and I'm sitting in there, and he, he makes this, st- and, and I was just, ch- I was encouraging him, saying, man, I, I just, I love, I love your faith, I love the way that, that you're processing things before the Lord, and he made this statement, he said, yeah, but uh, he said, but I, I you know, I listen to the, the things that, that you, you and others say, and he said, man, I just... I'm not that mature. I don't, I don't have those profound things to say. And first of all, and, and uh, you know, I caught my wife snickering, you know, and uh, <laughs> profound, whatever. So, uh, right. Uh, but, but it, it struck me and I went, dude, whoa, 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 you're missing it. You're, you're acting like Christian maturity is in the, the nature of what I can say. Uh, dude, the most profound people, the most profound and deep believers are the ones that will apply the simple things and actually live them out. Most of us are just trying to come up with something new and cool to say. I catch myself there all the time. I'm going, oh man, what, what, what profound theological statement can I make from this text? And God's going, do you even know what it means? Is it even in your life? 
Are you just looking for something cool to say? And that's what we get caught in, man. How many, how many cool things can I tweet? And if we turned our Twitter account back on us, could we find the things we tweet present in our lives? Would the people around us go, your Twitter account reflects the way that you live, right? Listen, maturity is not knowing more. It's practicing the things that God has shown you. If God gives you one thing, I believe this. If God gives you one thing and you practice it, I believe you're far more profound than any of us who have ever stood and taught the things that we're not willing to live, okay? It's in the application that there's great Christian maturity. Abraham, he didn't have a theological statement to go off of. I love this about Abraham and many of the other people in the scriptures. They didn't have this profound theological doctrine. Here's what they had. They had a word from the Lord. That's what Abraham, that's what he had to go on. Abraham was living in a pagan nation. He was himself a pagan at this point, right? And that's kind of an invention of Christianity. We've called everything else paganism. They wouldn't actually call themselves pagans, but, you know, right? So he, he, uh, he is just a man on the earth until he has a word from the Lord. And the moment he has a word from the Lord, he has a choice. He's got a choice whether he's going to listen to the word of the Lord and respond or not. And I love this. And that was profound. That was the profundity of Abraham's life, was that he heard God and he did what God asked him to do. And he's written about all in here, and it was counted to him as, as righteousness. So that's the question. Again, I'm not knocking doctrine and theology, but I'm asking you this. Are you trying to learn something new before you practice what God has already said? Quit moving on to the next thing. Quit trying to keep up with all the, uh, uh, everybody around you. And look, be, be focused enough to go, you know what? I'm not going to say it if I can't live it. And if God has said it and I'm not living it yet, then there's, there's, I'm still in process and I need to focus on this one thing. And listen, don't, be, don't beat yourself up if that one thing is simple. If that one thing to you, when you say it, if I were to ask you in this room, write down what God is teaching you. There's like great pressure because it's like, I need to write down some profound thing that God is teaching me about the details of the Trinity and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Shut up. Like, no, (laughs) that's not true. (laughs) Ain't none of y'all learning that. I'm not, you know, come on. (laughs) God's teaching me to love my wife. You know, God's teaching me to draw out of my children, faith. Like, how do, I, how do I draw who he has made them to be out of them? Like that's simple. Some of us are, like, hiding what we wrote down because it's like, well, that's not profound. Let God teach you what he wants to teach you and let it play out in your life. I promise you. I promise you. That is the most profound way of living the Christian life is to do what God has said, to live as a simple man, as a simple woman, according to the truth that God has given. Again, theology is not bad. Doctrine's not bad. It's vital for us. But faith without works is dead. Let's pray. God, help us in this area. Help us to not keep up with the rat race of Western Christianity. We just want to be simple people. God, that's a prayer that you put on me a few years ago, and God, I'm still so complex, and I just ask God, please make me simple. I want to be a simple man. Let's be simple people, people that are simple in this. We love you and want to do what you say. God, make us those people. 
Just take away all the layers that we've put on this Christian life, all the, all the silly things that we've, that we've added in order to make ourselves look better, make ourselves look more profound and more theological, more holy than the person next to us. God, make us simple. Break us by your spirit. That the one thing that we would want to do is agree with you and to do what you say and that to be our expression of great love for you to be transformed by what, we, what you tell us and to do what you say. I pray that in that simplicity, God, we would find great depth in you. You, you, uh, you told us already, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll be filled. So I pray that you would give us all that hunger, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, God, because we know that in that hunger, you will fill us and satisfy us completely. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.